Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such spoiler warnings as The Spoiling of the Empire Strikes Back and Think Fast, M. Night Shyamalan. The following podcast may contain spoilers for The Simpsons movie. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Lord Manly Supreme, and this week's movie is The Simpsons Movie. So, perform an outrageous comedy pratfall before sitting down on your sofa, and let's get diabolical. Hello and welcome to the pod. As always, I'm here with the three chiseled Adonises, otherwise known as the Panel of Peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us which Simpsons character you most identify with and why. Craig here, and the Simpsons character I most identify with is Maggie. <laughs> I'm the youngest, and, and I know what it's like to accidentally <laughs> shoot someone. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Adam here. I most identify with Dr. Nick Riviera. Because usually upon my arrival at any social gathering, I get greeted by Turner or Adam. Like, hi, everybody. And then sometimes I can be so absent-minded, I complete tasks in a way that most people feel is bordering incompetent. <laughs> like that time when you tried to make orange juice by mushing oranges into your own face. That, up until then, that was the only way to get orange juice. <laughs> And I'm Gaz, and the Simpsons character that I most closely identify with is... going to be honest, I forgot you were asking this. Uh... <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lisa, because I, <laughs> I study hard, and uh, I was a vegetarian for a short period there. <laughs> deep, deep ties there obviously yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the character i uh most identify with from the simpsons is disco stew mm-hmm. i feel like the older i get the more entrenched i become in my own sense of style rather than kind of cutowing to the fickle whims of fashion yeah very good. But um, ironically, one of our friends and listeners, his nickname was Disco Stew. I wonder if Disco Stew still discos. Bet he does. <laughs> Please uh, reach out to us on social media, Stew, and tell us, do you still disco? <laughs> do you advertise, Stew, or not? <laughs> Later, we'll be competing to see who can come up with this week's most diabolical scheme and earn precious peril points for the Diabolical Leaderboard. But first, for a bit of dysfunctional family fun, we're going to have a little quiz that I'm calling Did the Simpsons really predict this? I'm going to read you some spooky predictions that the Simpsons TV series got right, but I'm also going to throw in some red herrings. If you think it's a bona fide Simpsons prediction, say... Thank the Lord for this bountiful penis. If you think it's made up, say, Dome! (laughs) Right, the first one. Walt Disney and Fox merger. 
did the Simpsons predict the Walt Disney and Fox merger? Thank the Lord for this bountiful penis. Thank the Lord for this bountiful penis. Dome! Well, I'm afraid that, that is true. They did predict it. Woohoo! Season 10, episode 5. Mm-hmm. When You Wish Upon a Star. First broadcast in 1998. Homer suggests an idea for a movie during a phone call to 20th Century Fox executives. And the next scene of the episode shows that 20th Century Fox is now owned by Walt Disney. Yeah. Don't remember that. Okay. Ergo, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. The advent of lab-grown meat. Did the Simpsons predict the advent of lab-grown meat? Thank the Lord for this bountiful penis. Bountiful penis. Dome. That one goes to Gareth. It was, in oh. fact, false. I made that up. The Trump presidency. Bountiful Thank penis. the Lord for this bountiful, bountiful penis. penis. You are indeed correct. Season 11, episode 17. Bart to the future. It premiered in the year 2000. And we see a glimpse of uh, the future. Lisa is president of the US and mentions that she has been tasked with fixing the economy after former President Donald Trump's term in office. <laughs> All right, next one. Did the Simpsons predict Benefer 2.0? The rekindled relationship between Ben Affleck and Jenny from the Block. Dome. 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 You are correct. That was a red herring thrown in there by yours truly. (laughs) Okay, and finally, did the Simpsons predict the disappointing 2010 lost finale? Thank the Lord for his bountiful penis. Bountiful penis. Dome. And that one goes to Gaz again. That's another red herring thrown in there by yours truly (laughs) to slip you up like a banana skin. But did Gaz get them all right then? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think he, did. he did. I'll tell you what, though. The <laughs> finale of Lost isn't disappointing. It's really good. I haven't watched a single episode. Oh, well, bully for you. Would you want a medal? What a fucking <laughs> connoisseur of the arts you must be to ignore popular television shows. Yeah, I found it to be disappointing because <laughs> there was so much promise in the early seasons. But anyway. There were parts of Lost that were disappointing, don't get me wrong, but the finale for me wasn't one of them. I think at that point, that was about as good as an ending as I could have hoped for. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Tanner. Backing me up there. (laughs) Okay, now let's dive into this week's movie. After 18 seasons of the record-breaking TV series, The Simpsons finally made the jump to the big screen in 2007. Released in theatres on July 27, The Simpsons movie was received positively by critics and grossed over $536 million worldwide against a budget of $75 million, making it the eighth highest-grossing film of the year. Any guesses as to the top three? And I will give you a hint. They are all sequels that are part of huge franchises. Uh, Hunger Games? No, that's not in there. Oh, Harry Potter. There is a Harry Potter film, yep. Oh, yeah. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Good. That is at number two. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Very good. Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End is the highest grossing movie of the year. Absolute load of shite as well. Police Academy 8. Ah, that that wasn't, didn't quite make the top (laughs) 10. Okay. Three Colours Blue. (laughs) uh... (laughs) There is a three in the title. Oh. (laughs) It's a superhero. Oh, Spider Man 3. Spider Man 3. Dang it. Yeah, Spider-Man 3 was in it. Three killers, please. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) The Simpsons movie success also made it the highest grossing film 
based on an animated TV series and the second highest grossing traditionally animated film of all time. Any guesses as to the highest grossing traditionally animated film? Spirited Away? It's a good guess, but it's not the one. I'm going to say Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Bambi? No, but you're on the right lines. It was actually The Lion King. Ah, uh, yeah. The voice cast, including series regulars Dan Castellaneta, Julie Kavanagh, Nancy Cartwright and Yardley Smith, signed on to do the film in 2001. And work began on the script shortly after, with additional writers and animators hired to make sure work on the TV series would not be interrupted. Creator Matt Groening signed series director David Silverman to direct the film, and the strongest possible writing team was assembled with many of the writers from the show's early seasons selected. The result is a story that sees Springfield become the world's most polluted city and its residents sealed inside a huge glass dome by the Environmental Protection Agency. After Homer is blamed, the townspeople form an angry mob and try to lynch the Simpsons, who escape through a sinkhole and flee to Alaska for a fresh start. However, they soon return to their home city after discovering a government plot to wipe Springfield from the map in order to stop word of their dastardly scheme from spreading. It's an 87-minute celebration of hand-drawn animation and comedy writing, recapturing the heart and laugh-out-loud moments of the early seasons. But what did the panel make of it? Adam, if you had the luxury of unlimited thumbs on your hands and forearms, (laughs) how many of them would you put up for this film? thousand thumbs, probably. Ooh. I wouldn't leave much space on your forearms. Yeah, I I loved it. And like you said, it is a return to form. And everybody was wondering, all the serious fans like, like us, were wondering, will The Simpsons translate to the big screen and, and not just try and stretch an entire episode across an hour and a half? And they did it, in my, in my opinion. And um, yeah, they got the right writers on board. From the very opening minutes of the whole thing, you know straight away they set the tone and you think, yeah. We're in safe hands here, and I love watching, rewatching it, and I've watched it twice in the past week, so, yeah. Oh, great. Fantastic. Glad to hear it. Gaz, what did you think? Uh, it, it's good. Um, I remember at the time going to see it in the cinema. I think I think Craig, Adam, and myself did actually see it in the cinema together. Mm. And it, like you say, it was a return to form, because it sort of fell off from watching the show week to week, because there was quite a steep quality drop-off after sort of season 9, 10, wasn't there? Yeah. It, it, it is very good. It, it's just it's still below the level of those initial nine or ten seasons for me. It's mm. it, it somewhat recaptures what made it special, but it's also trying very hard and visibly so to bring the emotion. And it, as opposed to something like South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut, which did something very different by becoming a musical, I feel like they didn't really justify it being a film so much it feels like a plot that could have taken place on a two-part episode really like like a who shot mr burns style end of season cliffhanger perhaps but i did enjoy it it's just for me the time it took to make a movie i just feel like they could have pushed for a bit more out of it personally that's interesting you say that because the, the script was actually rewritten a uh, hundred times yeah mm-hmm. 101st would have done it <laughs> I heard a rumour that the producers when they read the script shredded it every time they read it so that it couldn't be leaked at all oh wow I think that's probably a myth but I would like to know if it was actually something that happened or not Craig what are your thoughts I'm going to give it my lowest score ever seven thumbs up 
for little <laughs> Simpsons reference for you there. <laughs> for me, it's a mixed bag as well. You know, ironically, some of the things Gaz said there, originally it was planned that it was going to be a musical, and I think that yeah, would have been right. better. Also, there were a few episodes that became episodes that were originally going to be the the movie. I can't remember what they are off the top of my head right now. There was one about manatees. So that kind of lends credence to the theory for me that this could have been an episode yeah. rather than a movie. The biggest crime for me is that it kind of recycles ideas we've already seen in The Simpsons before. Mm. Like Bart gets a father figure in Ned instead of Homer. We've seen that before. Yeah. Marge leaves Homer over something he's done that's stupid and he comes back. We've yeah. seen that before. Lisa gets an environmentalist boyfriend. It's like a little greatest hits. But while it has some moments in it that I feel are like try hard and trying to recapture the early seasons, the like the, the biggest one for me is when the the lake becomes black and it goes evil. And it reminded <laughs> me of like the really early stuff, like the the earliest like Treehouse of Terror episodes. Um Yeah. Is it Treehouse of Horror? Treehouse of Terror. Should be Treehouse of Terror. Doctor Terrible's House of Horror. <laughs> <laughs> Truly diabolical. <laughs> but it also has some of my favourite ever Simpsons moments in it. Mm-hmm. So you know you can't <laughs> count it out. The whole sequence with Bart's penis is a masterpiece. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've ever done, and it's led to the probably the most popular Simpsons meme. Worst day of your life so far. So far, yeah. <laughs> it's the the payoff for that whole that whole sequence yeah. is just brilliant. Yeah. A real highlight. Yeah, like, I I agree with you. What you're saying there for sure. It does have elements that are quite familiar, and I would say I probably if given the choice, if I'd want to watch three of my favourite episodes or this film, I'd probably watch the three episodes. To be honest, yeah, nine times out of ten. So. Yeah, I mean, there there are some episodes like The Cartridge Family, Cape Fear, that this movie doesn't yeah. come close to. King Size Homer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Taylor Two Springfields. <laughs> yeah. I don't know any of these titles. <laughs> Cape Fear is the Sideshow <laughs> Bob on the boat one. When no, it does no, I, the... I know what they are when you say them, but if you ask yeah. me to recall it from my memory, I'd be like, oh, Okay, no, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About, uh, if I say 8X03... You know what I'm talking about then, don't you? <laughs> Season 8, episode 3. <laughs> Before we move too far away from the uh, the kind of story development, I'll share some trivia that I uncovered. Apparently much of the work on the screenplay took place in the small bungalow where Matt Groening first pitched The Simpsons in 1987. Nice. Uh, the writers spent like, six months there discussing plot. And in an early brainstorming session, producer Mike Scully suggested a story in which Steven Spielberg who was intended to voice himself, would try to blow up Springfield so he could shoot a film there with Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose the only part of that that, that survived was the, the Tom Hanks at the, the canyon. Yeah. Yeah. In the same meeting, Matt Groening introduced the idea of Homer adopting a pet pig, inspired mm-hmm. by a pig waste management story he had read in the news. <laughs> and the actual plot of the movie itself was inspired by an article that Groening read about a town that had to get rid of pig feces in their water supply Jesus Christ yeah. <laughs> yeah you can believe that can't you especially with all the shit that's going on in uh, like Flint Michigan and stuff like that with the water pretty bad and uh, at one point there was also an idea similar to the Truman Show where the characters discovered that their lives were a TV show 
but Groening rejected it because he felt that the Simpsons uh, should never become aware of themselves as celebrities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently the idea was later used in a in a video game, a Simpsons game. I've never played it, so I don't know. There's an episode behind the laughter as well, which is actually mm. a really good one. <laughs> Got a couple of juicy little bits of truth that you'll you'll find interesting. Both comic book related. Marvel Comics actually published a comic book series about a pig version of Spider-Man in the early 80s. It was called Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham, and featured animal versions of other Marvel comic characters. Oh my god, Ben, have you not seen Across the (laughs) Spider-Verse? It's in that, Peter Porker, very good. Mm -hmm. Is he? Yeah. Wow. And he's got a lisp, he's very funny. (laughs) It's um, John Mulaney who does... um, uh, Chip yeah. or Dale in the new Chip and Dale movie. Can't remember which yeah, one. Yeah, I know John Mulaney. The stand-up, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, good stand-up. Also, um, comic book guy claims that Eeper was the sound made by the Green Lantern when Sinestro <laughs> threw him into a vat of acid. <laughs> yeah. And the writer of Green Lantern, Jeff Johns, uh, was a big fan of the film, and he, he actually worked in Eeper as a sound effect in uh, one of the later comics. Yeah. Apparently, he's <laughs> really abusive... <laughs> yes, that is, that is true, and uh, it's the reason that DC movie universe hasn't <laughs> gone very well. So, oh right, <laughs> yeah. hi Jeff Johns. Yeah, him and Joss Whedon, terrible teasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't hurt me, Jeff Johns. There's also a town in Alaska called Homer. Oh, oh. well. Yeah. And then my final little tidbit was that originally the main antagonist was not supposed to be Russ Cargill. It was supposed mm. to be Hank Scorpio returning. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, got Albert Brooks back regardless. I've read in a few places that originally Russ Cargill's character was completely different. Yeah, it was Hank Scorpio. <laughs> His character model was, it looked a bit less threatening and the Burger King toy came out with the original design because it was too late by the time they redesigned it. That's it, yeah. The voice was already done there. You know, Albert Brooks does Albert Brooks, doesn't he? He's yeah. not like really a sinister character until the end, is he? With the bomb. Mm. Well, he, when he's yeah. offering Schwarzenegger the the options, he's a bit yeah. it's sort of uh, creepy <laughs> then, isn't he? As well, take one away. <laughs> <laughs> the episode with Hank Scorpio is uh, "You Only Move Twice" has yeah. got to be on the all-time list. Certainly, oh, yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's up there. With the immortal line, you ever seen a man say goodbye to a shoe before? <laughs> yes, once. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Papaya, make you strong like Popeye. Popeye, Popeye, Popeye. <laughs> My favourite thing in that episode is the video where they're showing how they've improved the area and it's got the homeless man and he turns into a mailbox. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or where, where Hank Scorpio's doing the trust exercise with Homer and the phone rings and Homer falls to phone. Don't put that down to his trust now. What? When? How much of it? Okay, I'll be right up. Homer, I gotta go. Somebody ate part of my lunch. (laughs) The pocket's full of sugar. Yeah. Do you want some cream? Uh, no. (laughs) All right, so what were your highlights for uh, the Simpsons movie? Easily the penis gag. Mm -hmm. It goes through all the Austin Powers motions of uh, Mm -hmm. all the things that hide his penis from the camera. And then just brilliantly, for no reason, a gap in the hedge sits there for ages. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, yeah. It's so good. Mine is the sequence where the mob are attacking the house. Two moments during mm. that sequence were leading up to them escaping through the sinkhole. Uh, the first one is Homer behind the door 
with the chainsaw just going and then like like craig just motioned the other one is uh homer sinking into the sand pit flipping everybody off <laughs> so good. and then using his fingers to dig <laughs> Also, the animation in that sequence is, is brilliant. The lighting on the fire and the 3D movement around the car when they're carrying the car back. It's, uh... oh, it's, it's really a love letter to, to animation, this film. There's so many great looking scenes. Yeah, I'd say prior to this, the best looking thing they'd ever done was the, the Cape Fear episode, the Sideshow Bob one we were talking about before, when it opens up with the the lightning and the da, da, and the, the shots of the prison and everything and the the love and hate on his on his knuckles when he's uh, lifting weights hey, i get that joke now yeah <laughs> all that sequence was so beautifully you know storyboarded and animated after this they started introducing cgi into the show backgrounds buildings and the color palette all changed and it, it never looked that good on the series for years they've fixed it now quite substantially mm. But yeah, this was a really good looking movie. Yeah, it's a major step up from the TV show, isn't it? In, in terms of mm. the way the animation looks at the time, the way the show yeah. looked, that, that does sort of justify the, the step up. Contrary to what I was saying earlier, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it takes a big man to admit he was wrong. Can I just shock you? I actually like this movie. <laughs> Turner, you must have a, a list of highlights uh, as uh, long as an old fashioned scroll. Uh, yeah, there's too many, really. Um, uh, oh, oh yeah, I've got a list. Don't get me wrong. I just thought <laughs> I'll start with the top one and then we'll go from there. Yeah, before you spoil it for everyone. Yeah, Russ Cargill. I just think he gets quite a few good lines. And Albert, um, what's his name? Is Brooks? Is just Brooks. Albert Brooks? Yeah, sorry, I couldn't remember his last name for a second. I had mental. Loss. It's Einstein, um, but uh, Brooks. Mm. <laughs> no, it really is. No, it is. Yes. It's... Bob Einstein's brother. What? Yeah, his real name is Albert Einstein. So. Oh, well, that's, that's a good, that's a very good change, then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> very bold of his parents, isn't it? Change his name from Shithouse to Latrine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Russ, Russ Cargill and Albert Brooks or Einstein. He wants ten thousand uh, tough guys and ten thousand soft guys, and that little yeah. tough, tough, soft, soft, tough, soft, tough. <laughs> Sir, you've gone mad with power. He goes, have you tried going mad without power? It's boring. <laughs> Nobody listens to you. I've got a few. I love the visual gag where as the dome comes over and the people from the church and the people from most heavens swap places. <laughs> it's just brilliant. <laughs> and I love the the gag with uh, with Homer on the roof with the hammer. Steady. <laughs> Steady. Yeah. And the hammer in the eye. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, the first time I saw that, I was not expecting it, and it just killed me. It was great. And then I, I'll just give one more. Uh, I love it towards the end where Milhouse meets Lisa, and he's pretending that Colin's dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I warmed her up for you. <laughs> no shame at all, is he? So we've spoken in previous episodes about studio idents before movies, and this is a great one with Ralph Wiggum singing the yeah. 20th Century oh, yeah. Fox fanfare. Yeah. That's a, that a fun moment yeah, for me. Yeah, well, this is it's my favourite one, yeah. When Green Day are singing the theme tune, they've got the lyrics on the teleprompter that are just... And my favourite thing about that sequence is the news after when they say, the latest rock band to die in our town. Yeah. Oh, isn't that Reverend Lovejoy? Because I've got that in my favourite lines. 
He goes, oh, is it Lovejoy? Yeah. For the latest yeah. rock band to die in our town, hear our prayer. <laughs> <laughs> the itching, scratchy cartoon that kicks it all off. Which is weirdly bloodless, right? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. I didn't really think mm. about that. Pretty tame. But mm. anyway, um, is it Itchy is the mouse? Mm-hmm. So Itchy, uh, yeah. Itchy yeah, returns yeah. to Earth and has the big parade and in the news... It's got like Itchy the hero, but then there's a little corner where it's Scratchy's widow mourning. Just crack me up. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit in the corner. It's really dark and funny. I like on the news how they refer to the disaster Trappuccino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of my other favourite lines of dialogue is when that's been on the news and they reveal the silo with Homer's uh, address on it, asking for the silo to be returned to him if anyone finds it yeah <laughs> no reward and then Lisa confronts him she says you monster and Homer says uh, did you see the news <laughs> he's not sure why she's seen it <laughs> I like the um, the pub in Alaska being called Eskimos yeah, yeah that's you wouldn't be able to like, say that now and the, the arcade game in there Grand Theft yeah. Walrus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remembered, I, I didn't re-watch it, but I'm sure on the commentary on the DVD, one, one of the writers says that they put that in there because they were banking on people hating Happy Feet and having ill will towards penguins. He <laughs> 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 was like, yeah, that joke didn't pay off. <laughs> and he loved Happy Feet. <laughs> what I love about this film is that we get to see in the first four minutes, we get to see a riot, which, you know, happens so often in The Simpsons. The towns yeah. are so quick to riot. And I yeah, love that rules. they just bring it straight in at the beginning. <laughs> and then you get to see them form a mob a little bit later on as well. Yeah. yeah. They're uh, very easily swayed, like sheep, like carrots. Yeah. Yes. One thing that I find disappointing about this, actually, is that they don't explore more the concept of the, the townspeople, you know, the side characters of Springfield living in the dome. We kind of see the aftermath of it when they come back and, you know, Moe's the Emperor and all that. Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen, maybe they could go back and do some episodes exploring life inside the dome, because uh, I think that was a little bit of a wasted opportunity. There's a Stephen King book and miniseries, or yeah. full-fledged series, because Under the, the dome, dome, isn't there? Maybe, maybe they could, like, parody that within their already established lore. Yeah. Weirdly, Stephen King claimed that he had didn't take the idea from the Simpsons movie even though he's in Matt Groening's band and is known to be a Simpsons superfan. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a story as old as time, though, that. That's not... Yeah, just all coincidence. As far back as pulp sci-fi novels, isn't it? That kind of thing. In the 50s. It's true. Everything, though, you, you, people who are writing, like, the influential work are influenced by their contemporaries and then also uh, influence their, their contemporaries as well. So they're, they're taking and, and giving... Um, great amounts all in one aren't they so mm. it's just like a, a one big circle essentially isn't it circle jerk circle jerk dutch rudder <laughs> i've just remembered because i had to go onto a second page for highlights and I, I have one more it's a new character for the movie the bomb squad robot that's afraid <laughs> to cut the wires <laughs> and kills itself <laughs> shoots himself <laughs> and, and wiggum's like he talked about it but i never thought he'd do it <laughs> <laughs> well, we're moving on in that direction. What were your favourite lines? Mm. Oh, I've got a line from Flanders when he sees Bart hanging from the guttering. And he just says, If he falls, couldn't that make him a paraplegerino? <laughs> <Just, yeah. laughs> a great Flanderism. 
<laughs> I like the bit with Homer and Marge talking. Is hey Marge, isn't it great being married to somebody who's recklessly impulsive? Actually, it's aged me horribly. <laughs> I really like Flanders' explanation for why he's got spare pants for Bart, which is, you know, boys, always praying through the knees. Yeah. <laughs> my favourite, it's really hard to choose, but my, my absolute favourite was Homer and the pig on the sofa. He just goes, maybe we should kiss to break the tension. <laughs> and then they kind of stare at each other just that moment before they get caught. <laughs> I also like it where he's uh, whipping the dogs. Yeah. He's saying mush, mush, and then he's whipping them to rest. Rest, rest. (laughs) Just uh, in case we don't naturally fit this in anywhere else, not a favourite line or really moment. Uh, Maybe it's a favourite moment, but Julie Kavanagh's performance in the video that she leaves for Homer to tell Homer that she's left him is amazing. Uh, mm. Mm. They got her to record that a lot of times, didn't they? (laughs) Well. Is that how they did it? Yeah. Because her voice sounds really like strangled and like she's struggling to get it out. Mm-hmm. I saw it in two places saying that they got her to record it. Well, one said a hundred times and I thought, well, a hundred times is probably a bit far-fetched. Probably more like 20 or 30 times probably because she does sound a bit, like you say, a bit hoarse and a bit ten- under tension. So, yeah, apparently, um, what's his name? D- is it David Silverman? Mm. He got to record it multiple times. And to, just to get it just right. That's cool. There's a couple of blinking you'll miss it visual gags that I love. Uh, the first one is the sea captain's house, which he kind of undocks and it yeah. sails away. And the other one is, uh, <laughs> did you see, you know, when when Homer goes through the roof, what the magazine Grandpa's reading is called? No. Oatmeal enthusiast. Yeah, oatmeal enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia alert: That's a real online forum. Yeah. Oh wow! I have to have a look for that. I'm an enthusiast of oatmeal. It's something we take for granted, I think, because we've seen them do it for so long, but the cast are incredible. Mm, yeah. And the performances. The size of the the universe as well, and the amount of people that we've we've seen appear in the series that wanted to be on, on the in the film and stuff like that. It's just it's it's endless, isn't it? You could say really I, the only thing I can equate the Simpsons to and um and the the, the quality of the actors themselves, the the regular cast and then the quality they attract in, in the guest spots. The only thing I can equate it to is like the Beatles, really, because they just seem to, everybody wants to work with them. Um, and it was same same time now, really. There's nobody who'll turn down Paul McCartney to do a gig with them, really. And I just think it's amazing. Uh, and there's loads of people that got stuff cut from this movie as well. There's like Kevin Bacon, Kelsey Grammer, Minnie Driver, Isla Fisher... I think there was must have been other people as well that just did spots and they'd never made it to the film. Mm. Like the thin red line. Oh, we could have got a Sideshow Bob, Cliff. Yeah, it was. Kelsey Grammer mm. was doing Sideshow Bob, yeah. It's amazing. I'd love to see all the deleted scenes and things like that if, if they actually animated them. All right, I asked you this in the uh, on WhatsApp before we uh, start recording, but do you have any favourite lines of all time? So this doesn't have to be just in the movie. Yes, I certainly do. <laughs> my favourite Simpsons line of all time is not my favourite Simpsons moment of all time. My favourite Simpsons moment of all time is a visual gag and it's really hard to explain, so if we can put the gif in the show notes. It's when, uh, in the Cartridge family, Marge says to Homer, I think you'll agree 
have put up with a lot during his marriage. <laughs> and Homer starts speaking. And he just catches the kids in the corner of his eye, shaking their heads, and he just stops speaking. He just goes, <gasps> like, up <laughs> to talk. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. But it's my favourite line... <laughs> Here we're going to Ape Island to capture a giant ape. Wish we were going to Candy Apple Island. Why, what's there? Apes. But they're not so big. <laughs> not so big. <laughs> I think that's genius. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Mine is from the episode uh, where they go to New York the first time to retrieve Homer's uh, clumped car. That's always oh, yeah. been your favourite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he is uh, rushing to find a toilet in the World Trade Center and he pushes back an elderly lady and she goes, how frightfully rude. I certainly hope someone stabs him in the eye. (laughs) My favorite sequence is uh, from my favorite episode of all time. Season 11's Guess Who's Coming to Criticize Dinner. And I mean, there's so many quotes in it. (laughs) But my favorite is um, a conversation between the sea captain and Akira. And he's like, "Ah." Tis a good sign. Homer's undone the top button on his pants. He's been walking around like that since Thanksgiving. I'm surprised he doesn't give it up and switch to sweatpants. He says the crotch wears out too fast. Oh, that'll replace the whale in my nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) My favourite comes from uh, Season 8, Episode 16, Brother from Another Series, in which uh, David Hyde Pierce (laughs) plays Cecil, uh, Sideshow Bob's brother. Sideshow Bob knocks on the Simpsons' door and uh, Marge answers. He says, Madden, your children are no more than a pair of ill-bred troublemakers. And Homer says, even Lisa? Sideshow Bob says, especially Lisa, but especially Bart. I don't think there's not a bad Sideshow Bob episode, is there, really? Oh, Oh, yeah. Pretty good. No, no, there are. <laughs> Later on, there's a really weird one where he's got a family in like Tuscany or somewhere. Yeah, that was the one I was going to mention. Just fucking horrible. Oh yeah, vendetta, vendetta. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't hate you though. Do you know what? Um, I got back into The Simpsons quite recently. I will tell you, season twenty-seven yeah. is pretty much that. There are no duffers in it. I highly recommend season twenty-seven. Yeah. Good thing is having little kids is that they love watching it. And mm. both my boys absolutely love it, and they've got no problems with me putting it on at any point. And the three of us will sit there. It's only when my missus comes in and goes, "Oh, you're watching this nonsense again." So, so <laughs> then we usually we have to turn it off after about four or five episodes. <laughs> All right, should we move on to the villain plot? Oh, yeah, I suppose. Russ Cargill, head of the EPA, informs President Arnold Schwarzenegger of Springfield's pollution crisis and presents five solutions. The president, without reading any of the options, picks number three, unwittingly ordering the EPA to trap Springfield beneath a giant glass dome. Worried that word of his imprisonment of Springfield might spread, Cargill plots to destroy Springfield by tricking the president into ordering its demolition with a bomb. Fortunately, Homer returns just in time to save the day, defying gravity and destroying the dome in the process. So, what did you think of the villain's plot? Does it pat mustard? <laughs> Craig? No, it's, uh, it's incredibly dumb. The, the luck of uh, <laughs> it working 
I mean, it's a fun idea for a, a comedy movie, but surely anybody would realise they could just dig their way out. Don't need a sinkhole. Just dig. dig you know, when, dig, when they had that shop, episode shop, with the dig, dig. where the treasure was under a big T, <laughs> they managed to dig quite far. And then they realised to get out, they just needed to dig up. Dig up, stupid. So there you go. <laughs> we'll <laughs> dig our way out. <laughs> yes. Wouldn't stand five minutes in the real world, would it? Putting a big dome over somebody. Even um, Schwarzenegger, I don't think he'd be agreeing to anything like that. It's more of like a Donald Trump-esque yeah. type of thing, isn't it, really, rather than Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger would probably care about people. But I, I like, that's another bit I like, actually, is they don't even try and disguise McBain anymore. They just put in Schwarzenegger and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I would rather it was McBain, though, personally. What do you think of the plot, Gaz? Similar to the other guys, if not identical. It's a ridiculous plan, isn't it? There's no chance that he's ever going to get away with it. And like I say, in the real world, I imagine I could escape and I'm, I'm not a particularly good Digger. Digger. Do it yourself, does that class as DIY escaping a dome? <laughs> gardener? <laughs> yeah, gardener. Yeah, I'm not a particularly good gardener. gardener. There we go. Um, so, yeah, not, not, not a great plan. Yeah, and uh, I'm in total agreement with you three, and I give it a three flor- broccoli rating as a plan. But for laughs, I give it 18 turnips. Oh! Which, is, as we all know, are the funniest of all vegetables. Ooh. So are we are we introducing a new um, scoring system here for how many how many how funny we find a film. We're gonna have to start keeping track of this. I think it's gonna be, get a bit heavy on my shoulders if I if I do that, but uh, I might wheel it out now and again for comedy comedy pots. <laughs> okay. And okay. the heroes rejoice for they had banished the lemon tree because it was haunted. Now let's all celebrate <laughs> the cool glass of turnip juice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is the part of the show where we compete to see who can improve the villain's scheme the best and earn precious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. We'll each share an alternative plan and vote for our favourite at the end. In order to keep poisons from spreading from Springfield, the most polluted city in the history of the world, Russ Cargill and the EPA enclose it inside a glass dome before attempting to demolish it. But, of course, their plan was thwarted by the motorcycling heroics of Homer. Gaz, what would you have done differently? Are you ready to laugh? <laughs> Russ Cargill is a go-go capitalist and head of the EPA. His business portfolio has such diverse investments as large dome construction and tourist attraction demolition services. But he isn't in it for the money. He wants to give back. They're not the money, of course. Forget both of those. (laughs) What Cargill should invest in is one of the following two options. A water treatment plant. Water treatment plants function the same way as water drain pipes, but reduce water pollution by a whopping 85%. It's the first significantly meaningful fix for water pollution that unlocks once your city becomes a quote-unquote big city costs six times more than a simple water drain pipe and costs more money and power to maintain. It is, however, worth all that if your city is suffering from massive water pollution problems until you unlock its eco-friendly version. Or option two, use floating garbage collectors. Floating garbage collectors filter waste from the water and speed up the natural recovery process. It's called a floating garbage collector, but it's primarily used to cleanse water pollution. You can cluster a few of these together for maximum effect, but note that a single unit comes at a costly 50,000 bucks. 
Once it's done cleansing an area, you can move it to another polluted area to work its magic there. Now, you might well say that this is my wackiest scheme yet, that it's unrealistic, <laughs> unworkable, and unfathomable, and to that I simply say, no, it isn't. <laughs> okay. So he's got diversifying his portfolio, essentially, in, of, of what his companies produce. Yeah. Is what he's got to do. Rubbish collectors. Because yeah. <laughs> he can still make a profit, because these things cost a tonne according to uh, the website it was on, the water treatment plant. Yeah. I just wonder how much a giant glass dome is going to cost compared to, like, you know, a thousand rubbish collectors or whatever. I was thinking the same thing. It's going to set you back. Giant glass dome. Mm. I think a giant glass dome the size of a large town. <laughs> you know, it's covering a lake as well. You'd have to get some Venny glass. Oof. Yeah. Give me your largest glass dome. No, that's too big. <laughs> Very good. It's a pretty infallible. Yeah, I don't have any questions. Yeah. 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 Well, you're the front runner so far, guys. Phew. I'm just checking, you are finished. There's no no 80s TV stars going to make a last minute appearance. You're not going to tell us how to make toast. No, I, I'm done, though. Okay. Okay, Craig. The Simpsons movie isn't the first time America's greatest sitcom has contended with environmental issues. In the 21st episode of the eighth season, The Old Man and the Lisa, a seemingly reformed Mr. Burns takes an ostensibly wholesome interest in Lisa's recycling activities, only to later reveal that he's identified a business opportunity, using cheap plastic six-pack holders to fashion the Burns Omninet and efficiently catch thousands of marine animals to be turned into slurry and fish sticks. Lisa and we should have known the man with the vest made of pure gorilla chest would have little interest in helping the environment. Badger my ass, it's probably Millhouse, conjectured Homer, after being told by Bart that one had taken residence in Santa's little helper's kennel. After being assaulted by the creature, Homer deduces it probably is a badger, or possibly a griffin, and as we discover, it is indeed a badger and not the Van Houten boy. The rest of the second episode of the twelfth season of The Simpsons, A Tale of Two Springfields, seemingly abandons this plotline to focus on the threat of a new area code that solidifies the class divide in Springfield and cleaves the town in two, eventually leaving Homer to desperately railroad the Who into performing their concert in New Springfield in order to lend the town more cachet. This plan seems to be going well until the final seconds of the episode reveal that a veritable horde of badgers attracted by the mod melodies, is set to descend on Springfield. Hundreds of badges crest the hill as the credits start to roll. Hundreds of badges that will come in very useful indeed. The latest hope in the real-world battle against toxic spills is the sorbent property of hair, be it absorbency, that soaks up liquids and gases, or adsorbency, a property of human hair that attracts said substances to it as a coating that clings without being absorbed. Either way, sorbents soak up toxic spills and hair is a cheap, renewable and natural sorbent that is set to change the way we deal with environmental disasters. Realising that only a carrot could be trapped under a glass dome and as yet unaware of the stupidity of Springfield's residents, I steer the president away from option three to my preferred option one. As in the movie, he is all too willing to comply. Option one sanctioned, I get to work. Using the technology of the Burns Omninet, I set about getting the forces of the EPA to round up and tether together 
every badger they can find in Springfield. <laughs> Armed with a huge blanket of badgers, we set about dredging Cesshole 17A, a.k.a. Lake Springfield, until it is entirely cleansed of harmful pollutants. The badgers are then transported to the former site of Springfield prior to its wholesale migration at the end of the 22nd episode of the ninth season, the 200th episode of The Simpsons overall, Trash of the Titans. Nerd! <laughs> hey, buddy, did you get a load of nerd? Once there, the badger mat is gently squeezed until all the toxic sludge has been wrung free into the landfill that was once Springfield. <laughs> The badges are taken back to the current site of the town and freed before a dome is placed over the landfill and the whole site within the dome is firebombed, vaporising the harmful pig crap, etc. Wow. That takes us to new levels of nerddom. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got a count on how many badges you'd need to uh, dredge yeah. fully? Doesn't matter. Badges are infinite. <laughs> <laughs> how much uh, liquid material can one badger absorb? Um, a, a low end and a high end, please. I would like to know. So, on the low end, it can absorb mm-hmm. roughly a small badger's worth, and on the high end, like a, <laughs> a largish badger's worth. <laughs> That's all I need to know. Thank you. <laughs> I can't help but feel that this plan is what Harry Hill might have come up with if we'd asked him to do it. <laughs> <laughs> he had a badger parade, though. He wouldn't slaughter them. He'd, he'd be like the Pied Piper leading them to the to the lake. Oh, they're not being slaughtered. They're being tethered in these plastic rings, used as a big mat to absorb. This can be done multiple times, by the way, if you do run out of local badges. But there are a lot in the end of that episode. Yeah. So I have no question with the number of badges. No, no problem with that. My issue lies with two things. The size of the gaps in the net. As we know, they're for cans. Badges are considerably larger than cans. Yeah, but you'll need to get it around part of the badger. Just its snout. Maybe its snout could be one of its legs. All right, okay. So I accept that. Then this is my real grade A problem with it. All right. What happens to the squirrel when it's dipped in the lake? <gasps> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the squirrel is mutated despite having more eyes, still has hair. If you were using the squirrel net, Burns Omni net, you'd mm. still be able to use the sorbent property of the hair to continue with your plan. So even if the badges are mutated, it doesn't change the efficacy of the plan. But how would, how would you handle the change, though? Because before you'd have released the badges back into the wild... Still gonna. You... Yeah? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, uh, that's uh, everything from me. Thank you. <laughs> Turner. Russ Cargill has Springfield contained for now, but crucially, not finished. Innocent people don't want to be locked up, and people will find ways to break out. What Cargill needs is an unquestionable reason to isolate Springfield once and for all. What he needs is an inside man and an inside plan. Who else does he turn to but Springfield's resident, callous, sociopathic, multimillionaire, Monty Burns? He levels with Monty. Springfield is to be destroyed. He can either survive and profit or perish with the rest of the residents. He promises Burns a new power plant elsewhere in the country upon successful completion of the plot. We've seen that there is a way to escape the dome, other than sinkholes, and Cargill offers Burns and his faithful manservant Smithers their tickets to freedom through the hole at the top via a helicopter and winch. There is, of course, a price to be paid. Cargill tells Burns 
he must send his cherished nuclear power plant into full meltdown. The meltdown will cover Springfield in a radioactive cloud, ceasing any further attempts to break the dome and dooming the residents to a slow and agonising death. The radiation will be conveniently contained by the glass dome already in place and any cracks fixed before any radiation leaks out. The hole at the top is plugged too. Burns and Smithers make good their escape before the inevitable meltdown and just to make sure they stay silent are murdered by Cargill when they arrive by helicopter at the EPA compound outside the dome and bodies dissolved in a vat of acid. With Springfield now irradiated and the townspeople either dead or dying from an apparently accidental meltdown of the power plant, Cargill has all the reasons he needs to steal off Springfield for good. It's pretty grim, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It is, but life isn't fair. Can <laughs> <laughs> I just confirm that your plan is to put a glass dome over Springfield? It's, I've, I've taken it from a certain point of the film, yeah. The, the glass dome is already there, and I've, he's obviously realised now that he needs... He's gone to Schwarzenegger for the third time, and he's got this other plan now. Yeah, so he needs a... This is justifying the dome now, mm-hmm. is what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I get that. Yep. My issue with this is Smithers, as we know... Mm-hmm. has been an informant of uh, Mr. Burns' dastardly schemes. He's When he hasn't agreed with something morally, he has gone out and, and told others. Mm. In the Who Shot one, he does it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. So I think yeah. if, if he got caught wind of this plan, he would rat out Burns mm. to the townspeople and then they'd have a, an angry lynch mob. Mm. What kind of glass is used in the making of the dome? Plexi. Thick glass. <laughs> mm. Thick clear glass. Thick glass. Does thick clear glass <laughs> stop radioactive fallout? Yes. No, yep. I don't think it does. Yeah, it does. I think lead glass does. They have windows to look through into a thingy, don't they? Into like reactors and stuff like that. Yeah, they're lead glass. So, but it's thick. It's very thick glass. It's got to be lead laminated lead glass. That's what I'm so you have to ask Russ Cargill about how... Um, well, I don't have to. It's your plan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just asked him and he said, yeah, it's radiation proof. <laughs> and I suppose thinking about the Smithers issue, I don't think Mr. Burns would have too much of a problem cutting Smithers out of it anyway. If I recalled correctly that you said you got to make sure word of your scheme doesn't get out, how do you contain a town having a huge radioactive meltdown? It's just an accidental, isn't it? Because they've been sealed off and... There's some sort of meltdown, and it's just they can just do whatever they want with the whole town killed, essentially, and then Burns as well. Then they can make up whatever story they want. Interesting, interesting. I think Mr. Burns is a bit of a wild card. I think he would try and double-cross Cargill. How? To make himself some more money out of it. How? How? I think that he would sabotage his attempt to put the power station into meltdown and extort money from Cargill to keep it secret. Anything that gets him more... Because he's basically... He's getting the equivalent, is what it sounded like. He's getting just another nuclear power plant outside, but he mm-hmm. would want more money mm-hmm. rather than the Yeah, same. but Cargill can promise him whatever he likes. He, he can say, yeah, you're going to get all this. You're going to get you know another $300 million, a nuclear power plant here, another mansion, whatever you want. And then, of course, as soon as he's got on a helicopter, bang, bang, fat of acid, done. <laughs> Promise him whatever he wants. That's the beauty of this plan. Okay, fine. All right. <laughs> let me uh, let me give you my plan. Springfield is filthy. It needs to be dealt with, but we can't let the world know it was us, the American government. 
If only there were a way we could blame someone else for it. I set to work. First of all, my operatives leaked classified information to the government of North Korea, indicating that Springfield is the top secret location of a new futuristic weapons development centre. Naturally, Kim Jong-il will take the bait. Use your superior hacking skills to uncover more intelligence, he demands, slamming down his child-sized fist on the cold marble desk. After breaking through some difficult cyber defences, his people find information showing that the weapons produced at the Springfield site have the potential to dramatically shift the geopolitical balance of power forever. Holy pickled cabbage, he exclaims. Give me more intelligence. His people search desperately for more details but find nothing to report. Furious Kim hammers the red button on his armrest, sending the general who brought him this disappointing news hurtling through a trapdoor to a gruesome death in the serpent pit below. I don't care how you do it, just bring me those weapons, screams Kim, lying flat on the floor, pounding the carpet with his fists and feet. His generals do the only thing they can. They send spies to the good old US of A. As soon as they arrive, my people start to track them and photograph their every move. The spies make their way to Springfield. The state is easy to find as it's bordered by Ohio, Nevada, Maine and Kentucky. When they arrive in Springfield and try to locate the weapons development centre, the bombs I have secretly placed in plumbing vans across the city explode. The city is wiped off the map and its residents officially become known as former residents. In the aftermath, headlines across the world read, North Korean spies destroy beloved American city. There is, of course, photographic evidence of them in Springfield as proof. The government declares a national day of mourning. Perhaps in time it comes out that the spies were searching for weapons. Or maybe not. It doesn't really matter. Whatever the case, we do what governments do best. Deny everything. And if public scrutiny gets too intense, we always have the promise of a revenge war with North Korea to distract them. Alright, so, you are Russ Cargill. Yeah. You can change what Russ Cargill does, but I put it to you that you can't predict what Kim Jong-il will do in response to what Russ Cargill does. And therefore, everything that you said happens after that is just conjecture. And not not a plan. Sustained. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that as well. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you did enough to steer Kim Jong Il in that direction. Is what I'm getting. You at, didn't didn't do enough to uh, poke his hornet's nest, if you will. I left him a couple of sweet breadcrumbs there. They were tantalising morsels, don't you think? Yeah, but futuristic weapons, balance of geopolitical power. He already mm. believes that about the West, or did. Obviously, uh, passed on now, God rest his soul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. God rest beloved leader. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't reckon he'd send spies on a whim? Uh, I mean, if they'd, if they'd done... The only thing they did was where they bumped off that person in the airport, didn't they, in Australia? Oh, no, they send spies everywhere. They, they, they kidnap people off the coast in Japan all the time. I think it was a Netflix documentary about the people getting pinched off the shores of Japan, wasn't it? Yeah. They kidnap people from Japan to teach their spies Japanese. Out of Duolingo. <laughs> They're known for it. They send out spies all the time. Are they known for doing van bombs? It doesn't matter whether they have a reputation for, for van bombs. 
you have photos of North Koreans in American city before it explodes, the American public are going to eat that up. Mm. Yeah. Like an American apple pie. Yeah. Mm-mm. Extra ice cream. Extra cream. <laughs> 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 it's a maple syrup. Yeehaw! And some ass cubes. Oh, and some mashed potatoes. Up his ass. <laughs> a slice of American cheese. Meditated. Some absolutely diabolical schemes there. But there can be only one winner. Or two. Or four. <laughs> But not three. (laughs) It's time to vote. Remember, we can't vote for our own plan. And if either of you three wins, you will receive two peril points for the Diabolical Leaderboard. As host, if I win, I will only get one peril point as I pick this movie. I have voted for the simplest and probably least uh, snag-free plan, which is Gaz. Gaz had a face there of surprise. (laughs) <laughs> not expect that, hey guys. I never expect to win. Despite the incoherency of it and the ramblings of it, and it was mad and fucking made no sense, I have also voted for Gaz. Yay! <laughs> I have voted for Greg. And I have voted for the plan <laughs> that I thought would have worked best with the character that uh, was used, Mr. Burns. I voted for Turner. The mm. Gaz. Yeah, Gaz reigns supreme. Gaz takes it with his wackiest plan to date. (laughs) (laughs) One that works. (laughs) Okay, so Gaz, what does that do to the diabolical leaderboard? Tell us true. In first place with seven and a half (laughs) points is Craig. That's outrageous. Second place with five and a half points is myself, Gaz. In third place with three and a half points is Adam. And in last place with two and a half points is Lord Manly Supreme. It's <laughs> fucking nuts, that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Craig, you will be hosting next week's show. Please tell us, what film have you picked for us? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's it for another episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss an episode. But most importantly of all, tell your friends about us. We make this show for people like you. You're a people like you, and it's likely your friends are people like you too. So what are you waiting for? Follow us on the usual social medias at DiabolicalPod throughout the week for mildly interesting content and a plethora of disgruntled tweets from Craig. Join us next time when we'll be discussing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And remember, nobody likes to wear clothes in public, but you know, it's the law. I thought you were going to say something like that. If you made a podcast, we'd listen to you. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. I'll do that next time. That's good, that. <laughs> We're very close to halfway through the second season here, aren't we? Are we? I thought, yeah, we are, yeah. yeah. What episode would this be? 30. Well, then we are halfway through. Muchos. So the halfway mark, Craig is running away with it. Guys, I, I don't want to sway your votes in the future, but... Are you pretending you weren't already voting tactically <laughs> today? Because I don't believe you for a fucking second. <laughs> 
turned into come down with me already. Like I knew it would. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> come on, right. fucking carpet of badgers. It was the most Simpsonsy plan Cop- of all time. Oh, I, I, <laughs> it was I a very, it. very I big plot hole in yeah in the plot hole in the mutations. Yeah, hundred percent. What plot hole? That they get mutated. So yeah, they still work. Yeah. Mm, they're still a sorbent. Yeah. Aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> Conjecture. And they're still they're still bound by the plastic. Doesn't matter if they become mm. aggressive. Yeah, but they're like semi. Badges already aggressive now. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, but then when they become mutants, as we all know, whenever the, something becomes hits something toxic or a mutagen, they become more aggressive and even scarier, like that squirrel was. What about the teenage mutant ninja turtles? They're not aggressive yeah. and scary. Exactly. They learn they learn karate and shit, and then beat up criminals. How more uh, they, they, you can get. But they had a good mentor, right? These badgers would be without mentor, and that was the issue. Yeah, <laughs> no mentors. Yeah, as we know, badgers never take mentors. What about that? <laughs> is it called Quato? That thing that lives on that guy's chest in Total Recall. Yeah, yeah. What about him? He's not aggressive, is he? He's a nice little oh, baby. But he's man. a mar- he's a mar- he's a Martian. Still a he mutant. Hasn't dragged through- he hasn't been dragged through a lake in Springfield. He's still still a mutant human. He's not a, a being that. <laughs> They were talking badges, Craig. I think you haven't understood Total Recall. I think that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Needs to open his mind, doesn't he? Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) I think we should record the spoiler warning now so we don't have to fuck around in however many weeks it is. That's such a good idea. Um... What can we do? I don't know. I can't, um... The best impressions? Yeah. Uh, Homer. Homer coming up. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> this is Homer Simpson. <laughs> and this is a spoiler warning for the movie The Simpsons the movie. <laughs> you have been warned. Don't. <laughs> okay, that's my effort. Okay. <laughs> do your Wiggum Turner and do a Wiggum warning. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to... What could we can say? I don't know. Uh, warn people that spoilers for the Simpsons. All right, move along. Nothing to see here. <laughs> me moo moo mo, me moo moo me. Spoilers for me. <laughs> Thank goodness that spoiler fall into that smoking crater. This is a spoiler. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. <laughs> excellent. This podcast has excellent spoilers for excellent Simpsons the movie, the movie. <laughs> excellent. That was Mr. Burns. <laughs> Hello, Smithers. You're quite good at turning me on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll try it at the end, eh, Craig? Yeah. <laughs> what about... I saw Principal Skinner and Mrs. Krabappel in the Simpsons movie, and they made a spoiler, and the spoiler looked at me. <laughs> oh, that's a good quote, that. Is that Maggie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Homer. This podcast got spoilers for the movie. The Simpsons, the movie. Oh, you have been more. That was Marge. Uh-huh. And and her sisters and her mum, <laughs> all mixed into one, the family Bouvier. <laughs>